So I've got some thoughts that I'm just going to share. I'm not even going to go through as a sermon per se. Um, I feel like what Minda shared touches so much on it, so much of what's been happening. The gist of it is this, is um, that, I've, that God wants to touch our hearts and um, for us to be able to live in purpose. That actually the purpose that we collectively are about has to do with connecting people to God at a heart level. And that purpose flows out of us being connected to God at a heart level. We oftentimes skip that first critical piece. What am I doing for God? God doesn't want us to do a bunch of stuff for him. He wants our heart, intimacy, where our heart gets gripped with what grips his heart. And from that unity of heart between what is in my heart now and what is in his heart, I'm compelled by the same things that compels him and I do something out of that, not out of a desire to try to please him or try to work for him or try to gain his favor or his pleasure. I'm going to say something off the, off the path, but, but I, I, I sense, and I sense actually um, for maybe a particular individual in this room, but I would rather say it publicly um, so as to not maybe embarrass the person or draw attention to them and because it applies to all of us. But let me ask everyone a question. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If that's the case then I want you to be encouraged that you have received the Holy Spirit into you. And if he is holy, and if you have received him into you, he's become a part of you. Your spirit is now the same spirit as God's spirit. You, inside of you, is a part that is totally without sin, holy. That's what God sees when he looks at you. Yes, he sees the things that you do wrong. Yes, he sees the things that need to get fixed. We all do with our kids. But I want to encourage, I believe that there are some people in this room that are carrying around shame. And yes, God does want to help you. But you need to know on the basis he looks at you as his son or his daughter, perfectly recreated in Christ. If that maybe applies to your heart, uh, just receive that. Um, I I know we're... Not, <laughs> this is not a normal Sunday, but I like that. <laughs> let's, let's not just stick to, to our notes. Yeah. So this is what I, I want to say. I've been thinking about New Year. You know, it's the first Sunday that we're gathering together as a new year. And all of us, hopefully, have been thinking about what, what things need to shift in my life, what things need to change. And um, I've even done things like that on a purely natural level. You know, some of you know I'm also involved in business throughout the week. And, and so I'm thinking about how can that be... You know, how can I maximize on the most productive things and and minimize the things that don't really matter and all those kinds of things that we're doing. And I'm thinking about my marriage, you know, and I'm not saying that that, that's not spiritual or eternally meaningful, but in my relationship with my sons, how do I make sure that these things are are improved and better? But I want to I want to challenge us as a church this morning as we're going into 2018. And say in all of our New Year's resolutions and all of our plans and the shifts and the changes that we're wanting to make. Are they actually primarily in accordance to and coming out of what is Jesus's 
mission and plan? Does it fit into the context of, of those things? And what is Jesus' plan, actually? What is his purpose? Very simple. And I've been doing so much meditation over the past couple weeks. And I going, looking back at Jesus, and what, is, what did he do and how did he do it? And it all gets back to two simple things. Proclaiming the good news to the world. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And then those who receive that gospel by faith, receive Jesus, become part of the church, building the church, helping others to grow, building community. That's it. Making disciples. Preaching the gospel, making disciples. That's it. That's what Jesus is about. I see some nods. That's good. Is that a part of our plan for 2018? Or is that something that maybe that will happen? Maybe God will come. Maybe we'll use it. But really, it's my career. But really, it's my kids. Or really, you see what I'm saying? But as I begin to meditate on that, because that even can become burdensome. You may think, oh, jeez. I've got to do the make disciples and preach the gospel thing. So, like, if I really want to be pleasing to God. And I want to say that if... That isn't something that's flowing up out of the the river inside of us. Don't feel we don't need to feel bad if we're not wanting it, but we do need to realize that the desire to do what Jesus does flows out of our own connection with Him. You don't need to try to go do the Great Commission thing. For the we first need to assess why aren't we motivated. And actually, the glorious answer to that, the wonderful, splendid answer, is that he calls us in us, firstly, into intimacy with him where he has our heart completely. And it's in that place that what is in his heart begins to drive what's in our heart. And then 2018, our goals naturally become, how can we see this gospel proclaimed everywhere? Not because it's my duty, but because I have been revolutionized by this gospel and I can't but want everybody in the earth to hear it. And, And I'm revolutionized by God's purpose for my life that he's called me. God has called me to be used by him and I want other people to come into their purpose too. That's what I want. But that begins with simply, firstly, being intimate with him. And so I just want to say three things. And then a poem. No, I want, to say, I want to say three things that I think would help our connection with God this year. And I, again, I'm, I don't even want to go through, the, just go through it, and then we're going to go love on Detroit. <laughs> so firstly is receiving his goodness personally. There are so many people, and God knows when we were in South Africa, people who primarily were under an, uh, another a theology that was very condemning. I won't, I won't name the name of the denomination there in South Africa. It's very prevalent very condemning, very, um, yeah, so, so there are so many Christians who live under this thing of God is not ever quite pleased, I'm always kind of bad, I'm always teetering on the edge of like falling out of this thing, whoa, <laughs> see, you see, <laughs> and when, when in fact God, God is good, and, and, and loves us. So, so three things I just want to say about that. One is that he loves you. Okay, so again, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, verse 8. I have a hard time picturing Jesus on a cross, knowing what that means, why he did that, 
that he was substituting for me, for my sin, paying my penalty when he did nothing and taking the full punishment on himself. I have a hard time looking at that picture and thinking he doesn't love me. Now, I want, I want to bring that into home. That means you, with your flaws, right now, with your mistakes, before you fix any of that, his heart is seen on that cross. He loves you now. When you come to God, and you know that Ninda is the person that like, can come to God and have this wonderful time, but I'm not a real superstar Christian. I don't really do that. When you come to God, you need to know that he, before you even start coming to him in that place of prayer, passionately loves you. And remind your soul of that reality, because that is the truth. Secondly, with regards to that, is that he is actually for you. No. Well, yeah, he's for you. If God can be for us, who, who can be against us? So as you're actually maneuvering through this thing of life, and as you've prayed prayers, and you haven't seen them answered, and you're going through difficulties, which, by the way, every single follower of Jesus and follower of Jehovah do that God is actually for you and your circumstances do not mean that he's not it doesn't change he's for you in the circumstances and in fact he he is at home best in negative circumstances because that's where he shines the brightest and as we walk through those valleys of the shadow of death that's where we see his goodness with us more so than the good times so remember that he loves you he is for you and he is able. He is fully able. He is not impotent. As you're walking through impossible situations, as you experience a life-threatening aneurysm, Debbie, uh, I mean, it's amazing. She is sitting here nodding and smiling and doing her stuff. She's not even supposed to, like, be here. And if she is, she's supposed to be, like, mentally incapacitated through this thing. And here's or I don't know, mentally, physically, something. Uh, it is amazing. So God is able. He is able. I'm just going to read the scripture, Ephesians 1.18. I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart, can you maybe say my heart? I just want you to personalize this. The eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that uh, I may know, or you may know, the hope to which he has called you. The riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people. We have a glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, raised Jesus back to life. The ultimate power is for you. Did you catch that? Is for you. So he loves you. He is um, for you. And in being for us, he's fully able. That power of God. Secondly, is, um, is uh, that to, to uh, let, me, let me just get there. To accept who he is in our actual situation. So, the, so as you're going through the difficult situations, Every single situation that we go through in this life, ultimately, I believe when we end this thing and we see our lives in the scope of eternity, when we meet our creator, we will see that every single situation, big or small, was actually a test of his identity in our hearts. And that when Jesus was bringing his disciples through this Matthew 6, 16 chapter, he asked this question, and it is the question. 
that he asked of his disciples, meaning you and me, who do you say that I am? He actually asked, who do men say that I am? What's the talk around town? But then he turned it to you. Who do you say that I am? And then he went on to say, in response to what Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, something that could have only been known by divine revelation. After he said that, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood, no man has revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, and I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock, what rock? The rock of what had just been revealed to him. Revelation, on this rock, I will build my church. Who is the church here? He builds the church on revelation. And revelation is not just some ethereal thing of something that was revealed to me when I studied the Bible. Revelation is who God is to me as I maneuver through this earth with bills to be paid and taxes to be paid and diapers to be changed and marriage problems and this, that, and the other. Who do you say that I am? And there's a moment in Scripture, I think it's Acts 16, where Paul and Silas, they're about the Father's business, preaching the gospel. They get thrown into jail. First, they get beaten severely. Then they're thrown into prison. They're out in another place. They're not at home. They don't have connections. They can't call their phone, you know, come, come pay my bail or whatever. They don't know how long they're going to be in this jail. They're hated. How would you feel in that, in that situation? Honestly, like, this is it. Anybody ever been with that situation where, like, this is it. Honey, I'm sorry. It's done. This is it. We're toast. Been in those situations in life where it feels like there is no hope. That's certainly where they were. What did they do? They begin to proclaim and sing hymns, proclaiming his goodness, looking to him, expecting his goodness, expecting his salvation, because that's who he is and that's what he does. And as they began to pray, this is not metaphorical, this is a literal story. As they began to sing these hymns, the other people in the prison overheard them and then the, the jail began to shake and the, the, uh, the locks on all the doors began to break and everyone was set free. And I, and I realize that's a literal story, but that's also, in a sense... A metaphoric story for all of us that in anything that we find ourselves, it feels like a jail. If we will begin to proclaim his goodness in the face of what is screaming at us to say that he's not good, he's not with us. If we will begin to proclaim his goodness, those jail cells will shake, my friends, releasing you as a testimony in the earth that you dwell in. And then lastly uh, is obedience. Is obedience. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We're talking about connection with Jesus, right? Connection with God that we could have his heart and that we could walk out of his heart. Um, him, him putting his desires into us that we could walk out of it. It all begins with connection. Holiness is what, without which we, no man will see the Lord. Seeing him, being with him, intimate with him, seeing him. Does that mean that we have to live perfectly? Isn't that what holiness is, right? So actually, the, the idea of holiness is to be separate. It's to be other than. It's actually having to do with consecration of the heart. Our righteous behavior actually begins with our heart being consecrated, not just us knowing what the good Christian thing to do. So I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't cuss. And I try not to look at pornography. Right? <laughs> Holiness is consecration of the heart. Our heart being his. 
And um, so, and I just want to say, you know, sin, though his grace is towards us, sin is a relational thing. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What was his answer? It had to do with your relationship with God and then your relationship with people. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Relationship with God, it's relational. Sin is relational. It's not some entity unto itself, some code of ethics, some thing removed over here. Sin is relational, and sin hinders our relationship with God, the connection that we have. That's why we hate sin. Not because we don't want to do the bad thing. and No, it's because I want him. And he wants me, and sin gets in the way. And so, so uh, what are some things that possibly could, could be in? Well, I'm not going to say it that way. Some walls that we might have that hinder our connection with God. Fear of surrender. Anybody ever had fear of surrendering your heart? All this deal with it? It's a, it but it's a wall. That, that is torn down as we proclaim in the face of that wall that God is good, that he loves me, that he's for me. I'm not going to let that fear drive me because I know on the other side of surrender is good. Unforgiveness. Maybe fear of a lifestyle change. Maybe fear of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe uh, pursuit of another love. My career or sport, children, this boyfriend, whatever. These all can become walls in our relationship with God. Ultimately, sin, you know what it boils down to? Not, not yielding to his voice. That's ultimately what, what it is. Either that we know what to do or what not to do. We, we know his will and we choose something other than that, even still. Or our consciences have become seared because we've lived in something for so long. Or the environment around us is so rife with it that our consciousness becomes seared and we don't even recognize what his will is. In either case, there is a simple solution to this. You know what it is? To, to, with your heart, to lean into want to listen to his voice. And then the second part is to hear it and obey This gospel is actually my heart. Hear him because he's good. I'm, I'm afraid of a God who might want to punish me if I do anything wrong, or maybe he doesn't have my best intentions, or best intentions towards me. But if I understand his love, that picture of the cross, I want to hear him. Why? Because I can trust his voice. And if I can hear him, and then I can listen and obey, it's open, free connection. Let's do that too. Sound good? Let's do that so that he can do through us what he wants to do, so that other people can see what he's really like, not where they think the church has always been like, but who he really is. The more we see that, the more we begin to live like him, and the more other people begin to see who he's really like. And I think that would be Detroit Ghost. And the nations. So let's pray.